All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 145. It is Tuesday night, and this is when we just kind of launch a show to talk college football with you. Nothing fancy, but if there's anything you'd want to talk about, what's going on in college football this week or heading into the season, feel free to hit request, and we'd love to hear from you. So lots of things are starting to pick up now. We're getting closer to the season, moment by moment, day by day. It's starting to feel that way. Lots of stories going on, but there's there's kind of two sad moments. I just wanted to take a, a second and, and acknowledge. Number one, Texas A&M defensive ends coach Terry Price, a member of the wrecking crew back in the day in 92 era, like Texas A&M. He passed away earlier this week. And then, of course, on another sad note, today it was not really all that long ago. It was announced that former Arkansas great and previously at Michigan, previously, at, you know, he was a Texas product. Ryan Mallett is dead after apparently drowning in Florida. Just a tragedy all around. He only just turned 35. So I just wanted to, to acknowledge those two losses. Both are tragic. I mean, the, the Mallet thing is still fresh in my mind. I still can't quite believe that. Looks like we have someone who wants to join in the conversation. I'm going to go ahead and send you a uh, an invite. So, Beck, uh, Beck A., when you get this, just feel free to unmute. We'd love to hear from you. What's going on? Hey, guys. Uh, what do you think about the SEC East and West conferences being dissolved and, and everyone's playing their rivalries and across conferences? Yeah, that's an interesting, I mean, that's one of those topics that I, the more I think about it, at first I was kind of a little bit hesitant because, I mean, divisions seem to make sense when you have lots of teams, but at the same time, the SEC is about to get enormous along with Big Ten, um, and I can see why there's a reason to sort of to go away from divisions. Part of the reason is hopefully you can get the best teams into that championship game, although with the expanded playoff, it'll be interesting to see as time passes how important it is to be your conference champion. Because obviously, if they're letting in a bunch of schools, it would be, it would be, a, I imagine in many years, you're going to see whoever the runner up is in the uh, SEC title game getting a strong look for that, um, for that, uh, uh, at, spot in the uh, the CFB with all the uh, large spots they're going to have. And at the same time, I mean, there have been years where, of course, you know, you kind of looked at who went into the SEC title game and, and the, the best team might have also been in the same division. I mean, the second best team might have also been in the same division. So I, I get why they're going towards this. But at the same time, there's, there's games you just don't want to lose. Um, I'm sure with every team, you could almost add one more game to that particular list. For example, I mean, it's easy to look at the new people coming in. With Texas, it's nice to see them playing Texas A&M and Oklahoma again. You know, and, I mean, they were always playing Oklahoma, but it's nice to see that as part of the tradition. But it, for some of those programs, it's definitely been a little bit more difficult, I think, to pick who were going to be those um, those uh, uh, permanent rivalries that they stay in there. What are your thoughts, Beck? Hey, no, I, I think it's great. Um, Texas, Oklahoma is going to stay there. I think it's very exciting for, for me to and for the whole country to see how Texas and Oklahoma will compare against Alabama, LSU, Georgia. Um, I think they're up for a big surprise. That I think LSU, Bama, Georgia are too physical for Texas and Oklahoma. And it, it's just watching Big 12 is it, very different. I mean, 
you, you, you've seen uh, USC in Utah. I mean, USC couldn't tackle. And I've said, you know, that's just Pac-12 defense. I think we're about to see something similar. What do you think? You know, I, it'll be really interesting to see how the first couple of years go. Because obviously Alabama, Georgia, and at all, I mean, I'm not don't mean to not include every other team in the SEC. They have created behemoths in that conference that, are the envy of every other team in the nation. It's just, you can't say you're not an envy. What they're doing at Georgia on the field is just incredible. Um, So I think we'll see how they do and how they transition because at the same time, let's just stick with Texas. I mean, they have the wherewithal to make it work. Now, of course, their um, colleagues at Texas A&M also have all the money in the world, but just don't seem to know exactly how to, uh, make it work in in perfect harmony, especially this past season. But I think they'll certainly be able, those are two teams that were selected well that will at least be able to come in and have the potential to challenge. Now, there's a lot of variations, probably a lot of variables that could go into why they wouldn't. But I could say at least the SEC picked two teams that if they're going to step up, those would be two teams that could possibly step up. And um, I would say they're a better fit for the SEC than, let's say, I mean, I think USC and UCLA are a decent fit for you, uh, the Big Ten. But I like if now if those two had gone to the SEC, that would have been weird on so many levels. I mean, the the idea of adding uh, Texas and Oklahoma seemed to fit. They seem to get enough of what's going on there. They've seen their former colleagues in the Big Twelve, Texas A&M, and to a lesser extent uh, Missouri, how they've adapted to being in the uh, SEC. So they, they've got a lot to kind of learn from and build on. Of course, but of course, yeah, we'll see how it pays off and we'll see how many years it takes for them to step up. I, I doubt it would be this. I doubt it would be probably next year, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> right now, they just kind of survived this wacky year of the Big 12 with all the teams in it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to just this wacky year of Big 12 action because I think uh, of all these new teams now getting their one chance to take a swipe at the outgoing regime is going to be hilarious. Yeah, Big 12 is going to be very different. I mean, I mean it, it's kind of like the last hurrah there, right? Hey, let's go win this last season of this conference that, that's going to change so much, right? And, you know, leave everything out there uh, before you go to the a much harder conference, really. Um, and the same, really, for USC and UCLA before they move uh, to Big 10. I mean, Big 10 is not a cakewalk. I mean, you got to play Ohio State, Michigan, in in that winter Midwest kind of conditions. I mean, they they're about to see some snow out there. <laughs> hey, Colorado does exist. Colorado and Wazoo do get snow, but yeah, no, I agree. I hundred percent agree with you. It's going to be very different across the board. Um... <laughs> yeah, Colorado is going to be a much much different team with uh, prime time, but. You know, Colorado was what one and ten, or yeah, no, they, they, they've never really quite entirely stepped yeah. up in that time. It's amazing. But, I I love college football. I think it's the best thing in America. And look, I I came to America, I went to Georgia, and I figured, you know, I went to every game, and I was like, look, I have I don't know much about American sports, but this is the best sport I've ever seen. In it's my addicting. Life. It's absolutely addicting. Oh, I the energy all around the time. it. I, yeah. I run into folks who are international students as well. And I'm like, just go to go to one football game. Just go. You may not oh, like it, but yeah. give it a chance. And maybe you'll be like me. Like I was a I admit I wasn't the hugest sports guy. And then I go to college and then I'm like, okay, what? This is awesome. This is the greatest thing ever. Oh yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, just the tailgating part I, and, oh, and yeah. going to the game and then celebrating anything. I mean, win or loss, you, you're celebrating something, right? Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It was great, great hearing from you. Uh, yeah, yep. I've been following you for a while. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And let's see here. I've got a couple people who want to come up. I've let up Debbie Kay, and then I'll get to Thack and Drew. But first, let's talk to you. Uh, and I apologize if I mangle uh, your username. So Debbie no, Kay. Not a problem. Yep, you got it right. Um, first of all, like you said, big fan. Been following you for a while. Love all your tweets and all that good stuff. I just wanted to um, just piggyback off what you said with the uh, OU and Texas transition to the uh, SEC. Um, first of all, I'm from Oklahoma, big time Sooner fan. Um, grew up watching them, you know, going to games my whole life. So uh, obviously I'm a little biased, but with the way that TAMU and Mizzou transition, you know what I mean? It's not like, like they weren't um, contenders in the big 12 and I feel like they transitioned fine. You know what I mean? Um, once OU and Texas, who in my opinion are blue blood programs, you know, OU is one of the most winningest programs in recent history. So um, once they, get into the SEC and get that exposure, you know, on like national level, you know what I mean? Um, you don't think that defensive recruits are going to start, you know, wanting to come and play for uh, old Brent Venables? I think, I think going to the SEC is going to raise their profile with a lot of recruits more so than it had been before. Cause as you said, I, I have no disagreement. Texas and Oklahoma are blue bloods and they have a certain, you know, cachet to the brand, you know, people are attracted to it. They, you know, they want to be, you, they can sell recruits by bringing them to campus. And, and especially if the coaching staff is, is strong, you know, uh, they will have no problem whatsoever bringing in players. And I think what's been, it has been funny to watch the two, the two former big 12 teams. And I can't wait to have facts and opinion on this one when we have them up in a bit, but the, uh, you know, the way they've kind of risen to, um, to joining the sec, Texas A&M is a more fascinating one only because they decided to go back to their roots of just let's throw money at it. Um, and see what happens with proper coaching. Who knows where that could go? Um, so it, I think you're right. I think, especially with the, the sheer, power that those two fan bases have in, in terms of getting what they want. And I'm talking about Oklahoma and I'm talking about Texas. I think there's no reason they, they, sh they should struggle too much. I mean, again, the, the first year or two, I'm, I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, let's just see. It's going to be culture shock or, you know, clunkiness and getting used to new programs, supposedly. I mean, every excuse in the book can be thrown out there, but I think people will be a little bit more forgiving, but um, I think there's no reason why those two programs can't step up. I mean, this year I'm mostly looking forward to see how Oklahoma, you know, they were able to keep both coordinators in the QB. You know, the defense needs a little work, but I'd like to see if Oklahoma can get back to to being as strong as they've been before as we see. Because, again, to be fair, you know, they got abruptly thrown into a coaching search last year. So Venables is a solid coach. I really want to see how this goes this season. I'm really curious to see how it goes. It would be amazing if Oklahoma can get their defense right. Absolutely. I agree. That's always been our downfall, though, you know, since, uh, we, I mean, the last time we contended for a national championship, if you go back and look, it was because we had an amazing defense, you know, Quentin Griffin. Oh, yeah. White, but, you know what I mean? It was because of our defense. So, um, 
And we're not very forgiving down here, for sure. So, I mean, like, we, we know that it was BV's first season, but he's, like uh, like I said, just around Norman and, you know, Oklahoma in general, he's caught a lot of slack for that season. So, it's unacceptable, even though it is his first season as a head coach, you know what I mean? And he understands that, like, you know, like as oh, I have no uh, how crazy our fan base is. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you having me on. And like I said, uh, big fan and always looking out for your tweets. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. Hey, Thack, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, Bobak? Uh, good, good to hear from you. And uh, just a shout-out to the fellow speaker, Beck, man. Uh, welcome to America. You found the American dream, man, with college football. And I'm, uh, <laughs> we are more than happy to have you. Um, but, yeah, touching on that, uh, I guess, circling back to that little bit, that uh, Oklahoma-Texas uh, stuff going on. You, you know, so to be fair, the Missouri and Texas A&M success were, I, I would – as a Missouri fan, uh, I, I would say it's 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 definitely an outlier. Um, I, I've talked about this a little bit on here before. I, I think it's a little bit of a different SEC. Um, uh, at, well, and the other thing too is I, I don't even think Texas or Oklahoma are the best teams in the Big Twelve right now. I think if you're looking at the best teams in the Big Twelve right now, it's got to be Kansas State. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm not super high on their long term success. Uh, I. I I would be shocked if either one of them went to a title game in four years. Obviously, Venables, you've got to give him probably three more years before he's Oklahoma or people are talking about Oklahoma again. Uh, when you go through a sort of a team decimation like that, um, even with the transfer portal, it's going to be tough. Um, building that team back up. And and, and I, I, I've commented on Venables, uh, my, my disdain for him here, but I think he's a great coach and eventually he'll turn it around within a couple of years. But uh, the SEC is different, man, especially especially now. Uh, I, I would say the level of play has has definitely increased. Um, there's you, you have to have a good defense and a very good offense to be uh, – to be competitive in the SEC, and uh, I, eventually, I think that uh, Oklahoma and Texas will get there. They, their programs throw enough money into football, and well, uh, college football. Uh, it, it seems like uh, now, if you have a decent amount of money, you're you're going to be pretty good. Uh, eventually, I, I don't I don't think that they're going to come in there and you know bust the saloon doors open and. Uh, play for title games. I think the SEC, especially for Mizzou in 13 and 14, is um, the, the, the East was and the West were very weird at both of those times. Um, uh, Alabama was in that transitionary period uh, uh, with uh, them just bringing on Saban, and there was no Kirby Smart at Georgia. So uh, very interesting, but, uh, man, what, what I kind of wanted to talk about, Mr. Les Miles, uh, getting some wins vacated at LSU, which yes. I guess knocks him out. And it dropped, it him. Knocks it him, dropped out. him just below the number you need to hit the minimum to be considered for the College Football Hall oh, of Fame. Yeah. My, my question for you, Bobek, is was Les Miles even a part of that conversation despite not even winning a national championship? Oh, Les Miles being – wait, a, a part of the conversation being in the College Football Hall of Fame? Yes. Oh, I think he would have been in. Because, I, I, I mean, you know, at LSU, he, he did – I mean – Yeah, he won a national championship. Yeah, sorry, he won one national championship. Sorry. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think if you manage to win a national championship, particularly in a conference like the SEC, but Ed Ogeron, but Ed, uh, but then then you're then you're bringing in okay, does Ed Ogeron? Well, and then that's why they think they have a certain number of wins that are in there. But yeah. I think, gosh, El, uh, until his star fell the way it did, I think he was a shoe in, and now it's awkward because it turns out some things that weren't going great under uh, at LSU under his watch, which led of course to him being ejected from Kansas. I, I think he still might have over time made it in, but I think this is going to be, this almost gives him an excuse not to, not to, not to give him that, that spot. I mean, I mean, I, I think you should. It's, it, it's, I don't think you can tell that decade of, of SEC football without, Lost miles. It, I don't. I don't know if it's something that's going to take some time because of this, um, but I, I mean, he's a hell of a coach, man. Well, and th- don't get me wrong. I anticipate he'll be in multiple other halls of fame that don't have this. Uh, I forgot what the exact number is. I know uh, there was an article on the Athletic that went into the details of that. But it was so interesting too, because I mean, then you had all these other penalties that came out with LSU. Like all of them, most of them were basketball. And, like, one little one was on football, but the comment on RCFB that kind of made me laugh, even though it mischaracterized it. Ever cheat in basketball so hard that your football team gets in trouble? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was just an old Miss fan ribbon on LSU. That, that was, you know, obviously a bit of a bluster there. But, uh, yeah, no, that whole thing is just, again, using, a, I guess it was an ineligible offensive lineman, so it just dumped a bunch of wins out there. But, I mean, I... I I feel sympathy for all LSU fans who deal with that stuff because it's like you remember what the team did. They were probably they were awesome. They were terrifying at times. So I mean, you know, whatever team gets wins vacated, I get it. But at the same time, I think it doesn't ruin the the memories and the end of all those programs. And no. I think there's no reason not to somewhat celebrate those wins. Oh yeah. And then the other thing that I saw that uh, I know has been a hot topic on the show, Dellinger had a uh, had a got a copy of a memo that the NCAA sent out. Yes, I loved it because that's what the NCAA has kind of been reduced to, writing really strongly worded memos. Uh, It's like, you know, because there isn't a whole lot they can do. I mean, I get, again, this is going more towards why we've talked about the the push towards potentially getting a national policy. I mean, the fact is you have all the states making slightly different rules than each other. And the NCAA is just saying kind of there, it's almost like a policy piece for them. They're like, look, we expect you all to follow the rules, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, I don't know if they can really act on it. Um, the joke was, you know, when when the, the peanut gallery at RCFB was talking about it, you know, Clemson's uh, fan of Palmetto 95, I can't wait for the NCAA to make an example out of an eight-win G5 team. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Zach. The other response to that is, of course, or Well, yeah, um, especially since we uh, – uh, the football yeah. team had just lobbied it for anybody unfamiliar, the Missouri, uh, the Missouri state uh, legislature to pass a law that would allow it uh, basically allow the football team and coaches to discuss NIL opportunities with in-state Missouri recruits, which I- I'm wondering what, because that's, that's huge, especially with two of the 2024 class, uh, two of the top 10 uh, recruits 24 seven recruits in the, in, in the entire 2024 class coming out of, uh, uh, Kansas city and St. Louis, uh, respectively. I, I, I wonder, they just took their official visits. I, uh, I think before the memo came out, uh, and I'm wondering how, how the Missouri coaching staff is going to, uh, take that memo. 
Yeah, and I mean, remember, Mizzou also they passed that law. Well, I believe the governor still has to sign it, but I'm, I'm, he's going to. These are so these are bipartisan candy for legislatures. It's not like anyone on any particular party has a strong view either way, other than let's please constituents who went to these schools. So Mizzou, they're going to be able to a high schooler in Missouri who is going to basically only Mizzou um, because it's really the only FBS program can get paid if they commit. That's unlike any other program, any other state law right now. So it do- that's why the joke is it actually does kind of set up Mizzou to be the one to get the <laughs> to get pick a fight. Oh, there. definitely. But um, I, I mean, yeah. especially with this 2024 class, I mean, it it's I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was probably jumping down up and down when I was drink, but now you're in a you're in a serious dilemma. And, and um, well, it, we we can't the Missouri Missouri football program can't afford to have another. Uh, another bull band or any of that crap for sure you know hey kyle um i'm gonna go ahead and let you up and would like to hear from you i saw you up earlier sorry sometimes i let people up just so that you know we can get them into the onto the team i tried to not let people up almost until the last second because sometimes in the past gosh it hasn't happened for a while knock on wood but we were letting people up and then we couldn't hear them or i couldn't hear them um so that's why i kind of wait until the last second to let folks up but what's up kyle what's, what's going on Bo back uh, great great to hear from you love your twitter uh <clears throat> love your twitter uh it's just great uh, me and my little brother my friends uh share it all the time but uh yeah. <laughs> thanks well i just have to say real quick it's not just me like i do once in a while now and during the season i get heavy there's like a group of us well it's right it's yeah, yeah, no, well, all you guys is fantastic. Just you know, I appreciate I it. Punk, no, no, they, they appreciate it, it too, but I don't want to hog the glory when, when sometimes I'll – I always joke and I write them like, hey, have we said anything really bad where I'm going to have to worry about, like, getting a caller who's really mad at – because sometimes – I've said this story before because I tend to – we sometimes cover events, and yeah. I was at a national championship a couple of years ago and a very – very famous personality from uh, uh, college sports came up to me and got upset about something we tweeted. I didn't even know what the oh, tweet was. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh!" And and, and like we, we we like we talked it out. We were drinking at the time, which helped I, in that way. It actually helped. Um, but uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's, yeah, so sometimes... that's why that's why your Twitter so, the Twitter's so great because these people get so freaking pissed off. So uh, you know, that's why that's what makes it so funny. Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah. So, but what's on your yeah? Mind? No, I I mean. I've been thinking a lot of uh, watching just the, the hype around it, you know, over the last year or so um, about Arch Manning. Um, I just don't know. I want I want to get your take on the situation down in Texas and if he's going to have an opportunity there um, to really get get on the field anytime soon or you think there's a situation. I see in, uh, just from what I saw in the spring game a little bit and, you know, just seeing him in high school, I just don't. I don't see it in terms of at Texas moving to the SEC. I don't. I just. I just don't see it from Arch Manning. That's just personally for me. So I just want to hear what you think about that. Well, I think this season it seems like Quinn Ewers is still going to be the the uh, you know the number one quarterback over at Texas heading into this season. Now, whether Arch Manning gets opportunities to play, certainly, and and obviously there's many other ways that he could end up starting, but. Um, but for let's assume you know everything stays healthy. Ewers is is the man. Um, there could be opportunities for Arch Manning to get in there. But I think uh, Sark is you know he's a, he was a QB himself and he's an offensive guy. I could see him sticking with Ewers as long as he's doing well because mm-hmm. um, he needs to. This is a season where also to be fair, I mean Texas needs to wants to finish strong heading into uh, SEC play next season. You know Texas. 
their fans will <laughs> you know how passionate yeah. they are so i mean anything less than than the competing for a national championship is always just going to, is going to feel wrong. And I think Sarkeesian, they've been patient with him and he's been doing a good job of building things. And, and, and I, he's been doing, I think a lot of the steps. And it's weird for me to say this because I was, I was really lukewarm on that Sark hire. I was shocked when Texas mm-hmm. hired him, but he's proved to be, uh, you know, the, the Saban school of, of, you know, <laughs> has managed to, turn him into someone who has a better idea of how to pull things together. So that's it. I mean, Arch Manning, obviously he's promising. Um, it's always, I'm always hesitant to expect a guy to just be able to walk up and play at the level that they would expect him mm-hmm. to. I think he's going, he has a potential, um, but I, I, and whether, I mean, gosh, whether he's enough to, to compete in the SEC, I don't know. I don't dare uh, to make that kind of a forecast. That's a little <laughs> bit far. That's a bit down the line. For that, but I mean, everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows who Arch Manning is. We know the pedigree. We know his strengths. Um, but you know, again, Ewers had a decent enough season last year and and looked good enough in the spring that I think it's his team this year, um, barring some surprise any surprises I don't anticipate. And I, there may be opportunities for Arch Manning to play, but I don't know if they'll be substantial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, you know. It's just, yeah, I think that they're going to get impatient with Quinn Ewers for sure if they don't win right away, Um, you know, this year. I think there's so many expectations, but, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, it's a great take. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man, thanks for joining Uh, us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and also we uh, love when you shout out D3 football. Keep doing that. Oh like yeah, that. man. D three, D is always hard to shout out the off season, but I love. No, it. yeah, we, I mean, we, we love it love during it the season. Like, yeah, I always love trying to cover at least one game a season. I always tell folks like, if you ever get a chance, just go to one D three. Go to go to a game at come every to Union College. Come, like come to Schenectady. You want to watch a game? Oh yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. New England's like the. The best D three footballs out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm also, I live in Minnesota, so okay, I got. You got the Johnnies. Come on, teams. Yeah, I know. That's I went, the best. I, the last the season, best. I wanted cool? to cover the Johnnies hosted Wisconsin Whitewater, and I was at that game in the press box. And for a D three program, they actually have a halfway decent press box. But uh, you know, that was that was a hell of a game to see, and it was a beautiful location. So uh, again, if you get a chance, just for the heck of it. You know, it helps to go to a stronger D three like game because then the, the atmosphere will be a little bit more fun. Like if you happen to be able to go to a Mount Union game, Wisconsin Whitewater, or or just about any of the, the the historic programs in New England, even if they're not good at football, some some of them have a lot of fun tradition there. Go to it. I mean, what D three football is the game that gave us, and this is I think it was twenty nineteen, um, where it was like one of the one of the maritime schools because it's like I swear there's like four schools with the word maritime in them in New England that play football. And one of the fans had their own cannon and accidentally, accidentally, the video was kind of funny, accidentally shot a referee um, as he was crossing the end zone. So, I mean, it, like no one was harmed, like seriously, but I mean, it was just like, that's the stuff that happens at the D3 level. It's, it's such a different environment going, talking about Texas, talking about Oklahoma, talking about the SEC or the Big Ten football. D three can be delightful, and, and just it, it reminds you how fun college can be. Yeah, so. I, I, I thank you for the show. I mean, I'm just bringing it up, but you know, there's like there's so much going on in D three. I mean, I, we we've it just it, there's a lot going on. Coaches coaches are moving places. There's coaches you know leaving teams, going different places. Uh, 
to bigger schools or different opportunities. It's really interesting to see like that stuff like that. You hear about the coach carousel in division one, but coaches are moving around in division three. Those players are affected and it's, you know, they, you know, our team, we have to adjust and do things like uh, other teams. It's really interesting. And it's definitely a microcosm of a, a much bigger picture. And, obviously compared to D1, but, you know, it's something that, and going back to the Johnnies, I mean, that I, I've seen, I mean, I, I want to go to that stadium. That's one of my, or that uh, game there. That's one of my, on the bucket list because it's just so cool. And look, it's worth it. That, that place is beautiful. There's like a whole forest of trees on the opposite side of the stadium. So the view is, is, and I didn't know this. They play, um, Oh, boy, they played a Elton John song at the end of the game, and I forgot. I think it's a tradition they always do. Um, uh, Piano Man? No. Um, ah, but anyway, it was just, again, it's such a different environment. It's not what you – a lot of these games are, are fun and, and a chance to see something different. But thanks for bringing that up. I always love talking D3 football. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Well, let's see. Oh, there's someone else who wanted to come up here. Let me let you up, John. And uh, – Love to hear from you. Go ahead and unmute. What's on your mind? Hey, John, just uh, if you get a chance. Hey, hey, can you oh, hear there you go. Sorry. Um, yeah, sure. When you yeah. addressed me earlier, I was in that weird transition period, so I, I didn't hear my name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And for those who aren't aware, when you get – if you're waiting to listen and you hit request and I we get you onto the stage, sometimes there's a time delay that you're you, I'm unaware of and you're unaware of, but then when you join live, suddenly you'll get like jump five seconds into the future or something and get on the live feed with me. But um, so what's on your mind, John? Hey, nothing much. Oh, well, you know, um, I know uh, a while ago and uh, yeah, because nice, once again, it's nice talking to you again and get in there. But uh, yeah, I know uh, we've spoken a previous uh, in a previous talk about, you know, realignment and college realignment. And we both talked about, you know, the big, the first domino really was about the Pac-12 and San Diego State. Well, I guess, you know, it went in an inter- interesting direction uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, well, not only a couple weeks, a couple of days ago when, you know, San Diego State not uh, not didn't join the Pac-12, but resigned from the league, from the Mountain West Conference. Um, this kind of cares what you think the direction of this is going I would, I would be honest, I was a little surprised. I was really expecting San Diego State just to immediately just move to the Pac-12. But the fact that I think they're sort of sitting out like a free agent, I think brings uh, up a lot of interesting possibilities. And I'm just trying to get your uh, opinion on it, honestly. Sure. Sure, yeah. And this is a really funky situation because the, the San Diego State, like if you, and I don't blame 95% of fans for, have been completely unaware of what's going on because it involves a couple of timelines that were kind of side stories here in the off season, but weren't necessarily, you know, on the forefront of everyone in college football. So two things are going on. Obviously, as people have heard, the PAC 12 is seriously looking at adding two teams and, and the two that it almost certainly will include at least two teams. And the two will certainly include seem to be San Diego state and SMU over in, in Dallas. So, San Diego State's the one that had an awkward situation. So here's, let me first finish the Pac-12. The Pac-12 said, we will only add teams once we have a media deal in place. Those words have been cursed for the Pac-12 because as we know, month to month for the last, you know, nine months, we've been waiting to hear them say what that new media deal is and we still don't quite know. Although now it seems like we may hear it next month, who knows? But the important thing to note, and before I get to San Diego State, is we're almost certainly not going to hear about a media deal 
before the end of this month, June, which ends in a few days. Now, San Diego State, back in, I believe it was, oh, it was a few years ago, maybe even a little more than a few years ago, the Mountain West and, and San Diego State being a part of the Mountain West came to their own agreement where teams that left the conference after June 30th this year were going to have to pay a much higher penalty to leave the conference than if they gave their notice before the end of this month. Because the, the important thing about the end of this month in college sports, the new year begins in July. So that's why this June to July date is so important for a lot of timelines. That's when, you know, next July 1st, not this July 1st, next July 1st, officially USC and UCLA will be in the Big Ten and Texas and <clears throat> Oklahoma will be in the SEC. But going back to here, uh, and part of the reason why is, as you all know, the College World Series just ended. Good job, LSU. But the College World Series just ended, so that's the last sport to finish up in college. So going back to this story, this has created a really awkward situation for San Diego State. This whole time, they're like, we're ready to join the Pac-12. All we need is an invite. The Pac-12 is saying, we can't give an invite because we've, uh, we're sticking to their guns. On We're first going to get a media deal, then we'll send out invitations. SMU doesn't have to worry about it so they've been kind of passively sitting in the back and happily waiting for what they assume is going to be an invitation to join a p5 conference if there's if we even call them p5 in the future so that's what led to the weird series of events that kind of you know transpired and and it's such an awkward situation so basically in i believe it was june 13th um the president of sdsu wrote the, or at least had written to the conference, or at least uh, maybe even a little bit before that, but they wrote to the conference and said, we're thinking about leaving. And this is how San Diego State has tried to characterize it. We're thinking about leaving next year. This is what do we need to do to give notice? And oh, by the way, can we talk about maybe lowering the exit fee? And can we get a delay um, so that if we don't leave before June 30th, we, we won't get the bigger penalty. Oh, and can we pay our penalty in installments? Like it was a bunch of questions like this, clarifications. So the, the response from the Mount West was, we're treating this like you're telling us you're leaving. So San Diego State's in a, is in a pickle here because I would not blame them if they were just to say, okay, fine, we're leaving because the, there's, they seem to have an open inv invite from the Big Ten, probably from the uh, uh, the Pac-12, and they would have to pay a huge penalty otherwise. Now, they no conference, no team wants to be in a, in a situation of uncertainty because we always have to remember these are big universities, their athletic departments. You know, they pull in millions of dollars. There's lots of money at stake here. Think of them like a large company. Companies hate uncertainty, so the idea of having to for even a few months sound like you're about to become an independent is not something any of these programs want to, to announce unless you're doing something as radical as UConn did, you know, several years ago when they left uh, the American conference and became a football independent. And that really didn't work great for them. Um, but, you know, here we are and, and we, we've watched them kind of, you know, sort of in the wilderness and, San Diego State certainly doesn't want to do that, but they may be forced to sort of say, okay, we're going to be independent with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, knowing that hopefully in a few months, the Pac-12, assuming their media deal comes together in a way that they stay together, will send them an invite. Part of the other story of this is how impatient 
other members of the of the Mountain West are with San Diego State. There's a bit of animosity in the conference towards them, from what I understand. Part of it dates back to, you know, and I mentioned this last week. I'm old enough to remember when they were excitedly going to join what was the Big East, which became the American Conference. But they were going to go with Boise State. They were all like and TCU. Everyone, they were all heading there. It was, they were all thrilled about it because they were going to be joining, um, you know, a, a P5 conference at the time. And then it, it just fell apart. And famously, Boise State had not taken as many steps to leave as San Diego State. And they were the ones that kind of made things right within the conference. So San Diego State, which had formally announced it was leaving, could be let in back in the conference smoothly. And from what I understand since that time, they have not won a lot of friends in the conference. So the, they're not the the Mountain West isn't really interested in in helping them out in this situation because I, I believe it was last week I read a comment on RCFB that made me laugh. It was like hi, it was like a girlfriend saying, "Yo, I'm breaking up with you, but you can't do anything until I find a new boyfriend." Um, so that's what that's how I've heard this characterized. So it's a real awkward situation. Um, for San Diego State, but part of this is just what's going on with the Pac-12. And I'm sure the moment, I mean, I'm sure once they announce a media deal, because they'll have to, if it's enough that the conference doesn't implode, we'll, we'll start to hear the invites. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just really curious of what, like, there's so many directions this could go at this point. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean what if Pac, the Pac-12 doesn't get the deal done or, this goes for another several more months. I mean, what what is what do you, what does the San Diego State do in this in this situation? I mean, I mean you lose all your. I mean, it's like very hypothetically they have to run as an independent for the next season. How do you find that many opponents? And how do you, how do you find teams? Oh no play? no no! They don't want to do that. Yeah I, yeah, that's the thing. They would be in the conference for at least one more year. They would be kind, and it would be in a weird situation because you wouldn't want to start building a new. Uh, building a new uh, schedule immediately, because if you join the Pac-12, suddenly the, a lot of that's going to get removed by that conference. And we've seen what's happened when schools have been forced out. New Mexico State, excuse me, and Idaho famously were pushed out of the Sun Belt, and they were forced to kind of come up with ideas on their own. Idaho just va- eventually gave up and quickly moved back down to FCS and joined the Big Sky, where they at least could have teams they had historically been in contact with before they had made their own attempt because they were a team that had moved up in the 90s. Now, um, as some may remember, New Mexico State was doing a, a in-season home-and-home, home, so two game, which you see at lower divisions. It's not that strange. But with Liberty, because they were two of the only independents out there. So it would, it would put San Diego State in kind of a pickle. Do you start tentatively making a schedule like that, or do you just wait a little bit longer and see when the Pac-12 makes that deal and if you get that invite? I, I, I do not envy it because there's so much money on the line for San Diego State that I kind of get why they're doing it this way. But mm, it's I yeah, there's nothing there's no winners in this. And uh, at least for the San Diego State, I mean, they could win. Pardon me. Everything could work out well in July. The Pac-12 gets a media deal that seems decent enough. They invite the two conference, the, the two teams. Everyone's expecting them to invite. You know, I actually just saw a thing uh, today. John Canzano, the, the reporter who loves to cover, he's from Oregon, he loves to cover a Pac-12. If SMU were to join the Pac-12, their NIL fund would immediately be the second largest in the conference behind only Oregon's. 
Um, and this is, of course, assuming USC and UCLA are already gone. So SMU looks like they're going to be a perfect fit. San Diego State's like, we think we'll be a perfect fit, but <laughs> we kind of would like some more info right now. But that, that's where we are. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I just, I just can't remember the last time I've seen something like this happen. At least, at least this high profile. I know we, you know, we talked about UConn and the Idaho's and of the world. I just San Diego State just it feels very odd at this high profile of a school to be stuck in this situation. Just yeah, uh, such a great basketball year for them. Now they're just kind of like, I, you know, basketball's cool. Don't get me wrong, but nothing beats the amount of money that football brings in. It's just a fact. I still remember again when we're talking about that earlier round back, you know, in the. Gosh, a little over, you know, gosh, my age is showing here. It was a little over 10 years ago, well over 10 years ago, when it looked like the Big 12 might break apart when the Pac, I believe it's still the Pac, just the newly minted Pac-12 is looking to poach Texas, Oklahoma, and two other teams to go with them. Everyone was wondering what's going to happen to the teams that are left. And the awkward one was Kansas, because Kansas, despite being, a, you know, un, no one doubts their their basketball prowess, they weren't as desirable of a team for the other conferences because basketball just wasn't the big earner. And then we all know Kansas football is historically not the greatest. So it was kind of an awkward thing for them. I think I remember, gosh, it was, um, I don't know if it was Spencer Hall, but somewhat at every day should be Saturday. This was before they were part of SB Nation. This is back in the day. I remember he wrote like, the remainder of the Big 12 is going to become like the Scrapple Conference. You know, it was going to be like Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, and, you know, just whichever Texas team didn't get taken. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, I see we have someone else up here. Let's see here. Uh, Boise State, SSN, SSN Boise State. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I'm going to try to keep this non pretty non-biased because I obviously have my own feelings about realignment, especially with Boise State. But um, as the guy said before, and as you said, there seems to be this animosity from Mountain West fans and teams about San Diego State. And I can personally confirm that because I have my own feelings and I've talked to many of the other SSN uh, Mountain West team pages about it. And I think the main reason behind the um, feelings is just the arrogance that it seemed San Diego State gave off and their fans gave off about this because they send this letter that is vaguely we are going to leave, but we don't want to, but we also want to discuss the money that we just raised for the conference, but we also want an extension. And as you said before, football is king. And so people were analyzing this as what have you done to deserve any of this? And while the final, the final four run was great, it just gave off as a holier than thou type of thing. And that's where I think a lot of the animosity for the Aztecs comes from. And so that's probably why not a lot of people are supporting them and why a lot of Mountain West fans, I think would be happy to see San Diego state fall into independence and fall into this idea of not knowing what's happening. Oh, absolutely. The Schadenfreude would be huge. And I think you've, I think that you've characterized exactly what has been in my head um, because it just seems that way. And, and I've heard from more than a few people, even I'm not going to say who, but some of our own folks who've been in contact with that, particular program it's just like you get and they changed last year i have to say there was some positive movement last year and so i'm, I'm not i don't want to throw them under the bus they got a new stadium I mean, but yeah but at the same time like yeah especially you can just but it's hard not to sympathize with the rest of the mountain west like really you're leaving us and you want us to do all of these steps i can only imagine what they were thinking when they hit send on whatever email they sent to the conference to make those requests 
They had to know. I mean, somebody had to like, like we. But at the same time, they were probably they were trying. It sounds like the masterful like mistake of trying to hedge bets. You know, like they were trying to hedge all their bets. You know, we're leaving, but maybe we're not. Um, for the purposes, like, why why did they ever expect the Mountain West to go with this kind of wink wink? Like, we're trying to you know not cheat, but you know we're trying to game the system. Like, what you're screwing them? Why would they want to help you? No, no, for sure. And I think thinking on this, I definitely think maybe it was a test of our new commissioner because. Um, Thompson is just now leaving and we just got a new commissioner. Nobody knew how she was going to react to a situation like this. So obviously I wasn't with San Diego State when they did this, but I'm thinking maybe they were betting that she was going to let them leave and kind of give a sweetheart deal to show that she will work with teams. And she did the exact opposite of basically taking what was a somewhat intention to leave letter i definitely think it is but it's vague and just going full far right with it of like you are leaving you're not getting your money and that's how it is and i don't think san diego state expected that i yeah and i think it was well done to do that that was that reaction frankly if i were you know my own background is a, i'm a lawyer by trade, but i worked in business and other areas like that that would have been my thing like if they're gonna be jerks fine like we they the Mountain West holds the cards in this situation. Take advantage of it. Slam those cards on the table. Like, mm, sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah. Um, oh my goodness. And like going into it, like obviously Fresno State, uh, us here at Boise State, UNLV, we all are having our own feelings about realignment. So it could also be feelings of pettiness, feelings of why do they get to do it when we don't. But ultimately, I think it's how San Diego State acted and went out through this situation that has gained them so much hatred on the Internet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your input on that. You know, before we wrap up, I let one other folk, uh, one other person up here because I want to let everyone who, who hit a request earlier get a chance to talk. Noah, Noah Brown, what's going on? What's going on, everyone? Hope you're all having a good evening or morning or afternoon, wherever you are. Um, just want to keep on this conversation of realignment talk. Um, I'm an FAU fan, and as you may have seen on Twitter, there has been a lot of beef between the Florida Atlantic Owls and the cattle from Tampa, um, particularly on the conversation of realignment. Um, and one of the things that as the July 1st deadline comes up and we have all these teams moving conferences. There are some teams that feel like they have gotten left behind. And that is certainly the case with the cattle from Tampa. Um, so in your opinion, what are the top five schools in the G5? Um, if we could call it that now, that are the most viable candidates to go and move up into um, a P5 conference. Um, oh, wow. We've heard Bo- Boise. We've heard Memphis. We heard SMU. We heard the cattle from Tampa, um, San Diego State, UNLV. There's a lot of conversation about that. So what do you think are the most schools ready to move up to that next level? That's a great question. Well, first, you know, and I love, I love the way you're referring to USF because that's brilliant. I love the idea of – because I just – that's a natural rivalry. I'm actually looking forward to seeing that because anyway, they – they play, you know, you guys are playing at USF um, in the, you know, obviously they play in the Bucks uh, Buccaneers Stadium. That should be a fun, that should be a fun game later this season. But um, especially with Tom Herman, actually both programs have new head coaches, but Tom Herman, I'm really excited to see how he does at FAU because he wasn't that bad at Texas. 
He wasn't. It just was the expectations at Texas were ridiculous. And obviously, we all know he was great at Houston. So uh, I'm excited to see. I wonder if they, are we going to see, uh, you know, something like what we got with um, Lane Kiffin when he when he went to FAU. So but setting that aside, um, USF is really interesting because I do agree. They do feel left behind because they had so many opportunities. And I've, I've mentioned this before. But if you go back to that wild season of 2007, uh, you know, those of us who were there remember there was a week where USF rose to be the BCS number two when, you know, they would only send those two teams into the title game. Um, and of course, then they started losing and then they, they quickly fell back down. But at that moment, if, if you had asked anyone in 2007, between the two, uh, especially at that point, they were somewhat being compared against each other, the two Florida, you know, G5 programs that seemed to be at that cusp that, that had relatively recent programs with USF and UCF, people would have assumed it was going to be South Florida heading into a P5 conference like the, the like the Knights are heading into the Big 12. But just everything went wrong. For, not, I wouldn't say everything went wrong for them, but just it was a very different approach to philosophy. UCF invested in building that on-campus stadium, really invested in building other parts of, of the program. They had some good coaching hires, obviously, Scott Frost being one of them, um, and having an undefeated season and all of that stuff. But USF kind of foundered in, the, in those seasons. Now they seem to have, and I say all of that because I've been kind of impressed by the approach USF has had towards building an on-campus stadium. I've mentioned it a few times, excuse me, in recent weeks, because this has been a multi-year process for them, and they've been very good about hitting each target. Like I think it was like three years ago, they were like, we're thinking about building an on-campus stadium. We're not quite sure where. Here are some proposed locations, and people were excited. And then, you know, they said, we'll come back to this in six months. Six months, they come back to it. We're going to create a, uh, a body that's going to investigate this. We'll come back to this in six, like seven months. And then seven months, they, like they were doing this in such an intentional manner, in such a, uh, a, a careful manner. That now they've announced that, oh, yeah, we're building a stadium uh, and they're hoping to have it done. I believe an on-campus stadium done by, gosh, I should have that year. But it's within a few years from now, they're going to have an on-campus stadium, probably almost certainly. It's not going to be as big as where the Buccaneers play, but it's going to be something for them. All that said, meanwhile, I remember where FAU used to play football. I drove by it. It was like a, oh, what was the name of that place? It was right by an airport. It was just like this. It was like a Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yeah. And then here they build that gorgeous new stadium on campus. So FAU also did the right approach. And to a lesser degree, FIU did too. Um, <laughs> so moving from the Orange Bowl onto campus, because of course they couldn't keep playing there because they demolished the thing. But um, the, uh, so all that said, I agree with, with that characterization. Now, you asked a much harder question, which. G5 programs could potentially move up. That's, ooh, that's a hard one. I, I think you named some of the, the usual suspects, like a Boise State, a Fresno State, maybe a Colorado State sometimes gets mentioned, but it's, it's a little bit of a push, but they certainly know how to spend on that program and make it look where it could theoretically compete. San Diego State and Southern Methodist, obviously they're basically, as we've just talked about, open invitations to join the Pac-12 once they get their media deals. So we'll say that they're there as well. UNLV would have never been on the, the radar until they got that fabulous stadium that they share with the Raiders. So suddenly they're a little more viable. And if they can get going, I could see that. But it's a little bit 
I, I would say that would be a cart before the horse. I think certainly, and, and, and you know, playing to the caller, FAU, I mean, they could go in that direction. They'd probably need a little more time, a little more work, just like South Florida. Um, FIU would need a lot more time and a lot more work, so we'll just set them aside. East Carolina desperately would love to be one. They're like Memphis. Memphis and East Carolina will literally do anything it would take. You just have to ask them. If you need another person, if you need another school, just eliminate it. Ask them. They'll take care of it. They'll take their place. Like, they are that, like, I mean, hell, the Pirates, we're talking about East Carolina. They will, they will be dastardly Pirates. They will do anything to get into a P5 conference, um, and they see, certainly have some passionate support. You know, gosh, t- uh, pardon me, um, Tulane at this point, you kind of got to mention that they seem to look pretty interesting now that they're doing well. If Willie Fritz stays for a few more seasons, and he's quite old now. I mean, not that old. He's in his 60s. But he's he, if he keeps them moving, then I am absolutely looking forward to watching Ole Miss at Tulane early on this season because that's going to be – a really pivotal game to see if Tulane can keep it up uh, for a second season. I mean, they would be an interesting option as well. And I know I could probably throw out a few others as well. I mean, especially looking at who's in the Sun Belt. I mean, the way James, you know, when we're talking about deliberate approaches to growing your program, James Madison is a great example of that. They kept getting invited to, probably to join uh, G5 conferences, move up from FCS. And they said, no, we actually, um, Last season, we actually had a live interview with their uh, athletic director, and we kind of talked about this. They were very deliberate. They were like, they had like a five-year plan um, back in, you know, actually even longer ago. I think it was like 2015. They expanded their stadium. They built some stuff to support it. So by the time they joined the Sun Belt, you know, they actually were giving the other teams a real run as a competitive program last season. So I think a, a program like that, might, but again, it gets a little tough because you start talking about whether or not they have the uh, the facilities to necessarily to jump up to to join some of these things. Because who would they join, the ACC or the SEC? We know what kind of facilities those programs have, so it would be a it would be a bit of a jump because you have some wildly passionate fan bases that people don't I think talk about enough, like Georgia Southern. Those those folks are fanatical in Statesboro. But I mean, again, I, would they necess- What would it take to build that program up to be able to compete with those other programs? I'm not sure. So, and of course, it looks like we're, I don't know if we are heading into a situation where there's the big two with the SEC and big 10, the other three, I don't know what we're going to call them, the O3, uh, you know, the Pac-12, big 12 and ACC. And is it a different tier for that? And is that what we're talking about when a G5 team might hop up? Not sure. But um, that was a really good question. So, and it involved a broad answer. So thank you so much, Noah, uh, for all of that. You know... It has been almost an hour, and typically these have been going for 30 minutes, but last week and this week, I don't mind letting it drag on a little bit longer. There's so much to talk about as we head into this season. So, And somehow, people still haven't asked about, you know, because last week, I was like, I always joke, I prep for this with like, I have an ultra-wide monitor. I've got like 40 tabs open, ready to talk about whatever, and, and it's like, no one's talked about the EA sports game. I don't mind. I really don't care that much, because I'm convinced EA is going to make a microtransaction-ridden game that is going to be too much like the Madden engine, and people are going to be like, I can't believe we waited 10 years for it. I'm saying that so that I can be surprised in a good way. I'd rather be surprised in a good way than be, like, crushed. So, um, anyway, <laughs> on, that, on that delightful note, 
We're going to go ahead and wrap up here. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. So Nicole Auerbach, she had a tweet earlier today. There are changes coming to the National Letter of Intent program, so NLI. They're rumored, and this, you know, it's coming from her. She's a strong source. It sounds like there will be no NLI penalty if a signee requests a release because of a head coaching change. That seems, I mean, that seems reasonable. But then the second part is what sounds wild. The NLI penalty will not apply if the athlete leaves after one academic semester or a quarter. That just seems to build right into everybody's concerns about, I mean, because one, one semester, a quarter, so is that going to make people not want to be early enrollees so then they won't have one academic semester? Or will it, I don't know, that one's going to have to be interpreted over time. But that came out earlier today. It hasn't been officially put into the rules. But if it does, that'll be one to look out for in the future. Oh, and by the way, I think, and I have to mention this one because I thought it was hilarious. Iowa, one of their, uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes, one of their collectives is going to be having a vodka that will benefit, I guess, benefit their uh, athletes and will go to the NIL funds for their, their team. So there you go. If you're into, if you're in vodka, you like the, if you like the Hawkeyes and you're really into vodka, now you have a way to support both habits. That you want to have some parting words? Oh, yeah. Well, I was just going to say uh, they, they actually have Hawkeye vodka already. If you're not familiar in Iowa City, there's a a disgusting, vile product called Hawkeye vodka, which in which I think they, I don't know, a couple of years ago used to get a handle of it for like eight bucks. But uh, we're we're excited over here. <laughs> for the hawkeye vodka too yeah if it's coming in, if it's eight bucks and coming in a plastic bottle yeah that vodka is probably gonna give you a hell of a it, headache i i live <laughs> with uh with iowa university of iowa graduates and uh it's cherished to them apparently <laughs> <laughs> the sacred elixir oh my goodness that is a sad yeah. st- state of affairs hey uh zach uh thanks for calling out um yeah i i think college football and the second amendment are the best things about this country and i'm saying it as the outsider also missouri um their m is very similar to michigan so i never know what team are they representing uh we have m in the end zone yeah i i I will say uh uh, it's a uh, common logo but uh if you go back, the first team to put it on an on a athletics jersey was in fact uh, Mizzou, and uh... I, I can believe that. Yeah, uh, Mizzou, Mizzou for me, it, it's a very you know, for me it's a sad memory. <laughs> I was there in 2014, Mizzou at Georgia. The score was nine six. It was rainy day, and and it was just a lot of field goals, and we won in like with two minutes left and I didn't even want to celebrate those. And then y'all almost beating Georgia last year. And, you know, if we lost that game, we would not win the national championships. So it, me, it, Georgia and Mizzou, it, it's a special relationship. Uh, I love it. Well, on that note, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up here. This was RCFB talk. 145. My name is Bob Akhairi. I wanted to thank everyone who joined us and those of us up right now, Noah, John, Thack, Beck, and, and those of us who uh, joined us a little earlier this evening. Otherwise, on that note, thank you all for joining us. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.